many times you, you watch a movie and you go back and watch that movie again and you say, oh, wait, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. So he impressed upon me that the same thing happens during a sermon. You, you hear certain things and because of the, the, the average um, attention span of any individual is quite limited. And what happens is you tend to tune out after a while, and then by the time you come back, you missed it. Now, unfortunately, I don't know when you tuned out. I don't know when I tune out. So I can't emphasize the parts where you tuned out. So what I'm going to ask is the Lord, through his Ruach, speak to all our spirits and give us the understanding. Give us the full message today. It's somewhat revised from three years ago. But it's in essence the same basic message. For the benefit of uh, Mr. Florky, it's renamed, retitled also. It's a messianic view of Torah. Now, in defining and in some ways defending our belief in Messiah, it can be simplified like this. One must reduce every argument of a Torah argument alone. So we're going to examine what I mean by that. See, if we can't reduce our arguments concerning Messiah to one that's made in the Torah and support any of the writings that we find in the prophets including the writings of the disciples of Yeshua themselves, and base it on what the Torah says, we really don't have an argument that we can stand on. It's true for every, anyone. It's true for Messianics, it's true for Christians, it's even true for non-believing Jews. It's a premise that's established in Torah itself, which says that you can't add to or take away from what is written and established in the Torah. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, it says, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let's go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you should not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall not walk after the Lord your God and fear him. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put the evil from your midst. So that, that, that sets the basis for determining a false prophet. Because even though the prophet prophesies and the prophecy comes true, if it doesn't line up with God's word, he's a false prophet. 
Anyone who speaks perversion against God, one that adds to or subtracts from the word which God commanded, it doesn't matter if he performs the sign and wonders and they come to pass, he's a false prophet. Because they did not, they turned us, the people away from the Lord God and His Word. There's a challenge, especially to Messianics, but everyone else as well, that also includes, again, the non-believing Jews and non-believing Gentiles for that matter. And it's always been this, and still will continue to be, it's to reduce the arguments to an argument from Torah only. This is because the prophets and the writers, they can't add to or subtract from the Torah either, because that's what God said. For Messianics, it becomes all the more true concerning the teachings regarding the Messiah, Yeshua, in Scripture. The Messiah and his disciples did it. If they can do it, we should be able to do it also. John chapter 5 verse 46 says, For if ye believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Luke 24:44 says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. In John chapter 1, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Acts 24.14 says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Continuing in Acts 28, verse 23, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Yeshua, from what? Both the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. And then in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Everything needs to be established based on what God said in the Torah. Nothing should disagree. If we look through all of our scripture, we look through all the 66 books we have in this particular set of scriptures, nothing should disagree with the Torah. The Torah establishes everything. Everything needs to be proved by the Torah. We need to look back for the proof. We need to look back and see what did the Torah say concerning this. If the Torah was against it, something's wrong. You won't find that in any of the 66 books. You find it in a lot of commentaries. You find it in different types of translations. You find it preached from the pulpit on Sundays and from the Bema on Shabbats. But if it doesn't, can't stand up to what God said and what God had Moses write down, then you really have to think about what's being said 
and what's being done as a result of what's being said. If we can't justify any argument concerning Messiah or any argument concerning God's word and make that argument from the Torah, maybe there's not an argument to stand on. And we may be holding on to a false argument, possibly established by a false prophet, modern day included. Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, knew this when he came to the Bereans. And he recognized them as being noble for their searching out the scriptures, specifically the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, better known as the Tanakh. And they were doing that to see for themselves what was Paul saying, was it, was it true? They didn't take Paul's words alone as truth, as fact, as Torah-based. Acts 17, beginning at verse 10, it says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So they searched the scriptures, which is what we should do. We should search the scriptures. Years ago, I hosted a radio program for the the church we belong to. And as the announcer on that program, I always told the audience, have your Bibles handy as you're studying with our pastor today. And jot down the scripture references. Write down questions and comments. And then search the scriptures to make sure what he said is true. And don't take his words as gospel. That was my very own pastor, but I told people, you need to make sure for yourself. And since we know that the Bereans did accept what Paul taught them, and because he does refer to them as being noble for searching the scriptures to see if what he, Paul, was saying to them were true, and that most of them were not from the prophets or the writings, but the Torah, which is something they can't add to or subtract from. And they knew that, as we should. Nothing can be added to. I don't care if it is, if it's Isaiah. I don't care if it's Jeremiah. They can't add to or subtract from what God established. So that means they could have and they most likely found what Paul taught was from Torah. In other words, if we don't hold Paul, or they didn't hold him to be a false prophet, according to what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 13, then we can come to the conclusion that what Paul taught the Bereans, and arguably everything he teaches in his writings, is found in the Torah as a basis. Now, as we read in Acts 28-23, there's so much material concerning the Messiah that comes from the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. 
And Paul would literally spend, as it said, from morning till evening showing these things. And he may have only scratched the surface, because even John says, as he concludes uh, his writing, the Gospel account, in John chapter 21, verse 25, And there are also many other things that Yeshua did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So John admits that he didn't write everything which tells us that neither did Matthew, Mark, or Luke, which tells us also that after that, Paul probably didn't write everything. There are so many things that could be written. I mean, I've talked about this before. Batya and I get a little frustrated and we're reading especially through First and Second Chronicles. It will conclude by saying, other activities of this particular king are found in the annals of the kings of Media and Persia, found in the so, so on. Where are they? Those volumes have not been found to this day. So we can't see what they're referring to. Well, this is what John's saying about the activities and the life of Yeshua. Not everything is written down. Now, maybe there's a fifth writer of the gospel that we don't see, that we don't hear about, that maybe recorded some things that these four did not. But we don't have them right now. If they're ever discovered, then maybe we'll find out more of what Yeshua did. But what we see in all the Gospel accounts, and according to Rav Shaul, all of what we read about Messiah Yeshua can be found in the Torah. It's established in the, in the Torah. And since we know from the writings that Yeshua walked perfectly according to the Torah, even he couldn't add to or subtract from what the Torah says. And he couldn't have walked a lifestyle outside of those boundaries. That means he could only teach from the Torah since he couldn't add or subtract from it. And like the rest of us, he could only use the prophets and writings as divinely revealed confirmation of what was taught in the Torah. It should be no surprise to any of us to understand that the entire Torah stands as the very test source and description of what Messiah himself taught and did. He talked the talk and he walked the walk. But what talk, what walk, it's in there. It says what he will do. It's about the walk of Messiah. His halakha, his laws, that John writes, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Since even his walk included his teaching, which is within the framework of the Torah, it should become clear that the total commentary on the Torah concerning Messiah is just that. The world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Can you imagine the volumes and volumes? Could you imagine if John wrote about everything that he's talking about here, the books could not contain it? Instead of his book being 21 chapters long, it could be another another stack of manuscripts that we wouldn't be able to carry around with us. 
Much like back in their day, all they had were scrolls. Well, they certainly weren't carrying the scrolls around everywhere they went. Most of the study had to happen in the synagogue where the scrolls were. Everybody didn't have their own personal copy like we do. Again, 66 books in, in there. We, you saw the Torah scroll when it was out here. That was only five. Imagine trying to carry that around in addition to what's contained in the rest of the Bible. None of us could do it. None of us has a, I don't, I don't have a library big enough to contain all of those scrolls. I am thankful that everything has been reduced to book form because I would never be able to handle it all. So from this, and also from the Torah itself, we can see that every book of the Torah, every single paragraph, sentence, word, letter, jot, tittle, has everything to do with, number one, who Messiah is, number two, what Messiah taught, and number three, how he walked as a role model for all of us. See, only when we refer back to the Torah and consult what God said can we get any clarification on what the prophets and the various writers, even again the apostles, wrote. We would never understand what God meant, but they wrote about if we don't refer back to the source. If we don't believe this, then we must believe that the prophets and writers um, may be adding to the Torah. If we don't refer back to where did they get that? Yes, they heard God's word. They did what God said, but it still can't contradict what God had already established. And if we are true to Deuteronomy 13, we would have to take all those prophets and writers and rip them out of our Bibles and throw them away if we hold them to be untrue. Then we'd be left with what? We'd be left with the Torah. Now, you can walk around with a scroll. One scroll. I can do that. And maybe that'd be a good thing because then everybody would have to learn Hebrew because it's not written in English or any other language for that matter. But anytime anyone thinks that a writer of prophecy or any of the writings is contradicting Torah, it's not because the writing is contradicting Torah, but maybe it's our own understanding of the writing. Maybe we don't quite understand why Jeremiah said what he said. Sometimes we have to look at a little bit of history. What was happening at the time of Jeremiah or any of the prophets? And then refer back to the Torah to see if it's truth. Put everything back into context. If we put it in the context of today, none of the prophets make a lot of sense because we don't see those things happening in our time. But if we look back at what was happening at that time and then look back at Torah, we'll find that they do not disagree. So our understanding of the writing, or even the Torah, actually, um, is what's at fault. 
We need to understand, and ultimately that can cause conflict if we don't understand. But only if we stay within the boundaries of the Torah can we inquire of the Torah what we're being presented with in the words. Instead of putting in something that wasn't already there in an attempt to gain an understanding of the prophets and writers. See, which is what some will do. They'll come across something a prophet will say. They'll look back and they won't necessarily find it in the Torah. So they say that the Torah says something else about that situation when it never said that. It applies if you, if you know what's going on, you put it back in context. But it may not apply if you see it from outside of the realm of what God said. See, all the arguments that are argued solely on the prophets and writings by themselves and not established by Torah are simply arguments that are in ignorance of the Torah. And it's possibly an argument that can be misleading and that's at best but at worst, be completely false. In other words, don't reverse the order. By the way, the order was established by God. And that is, prove the prophets and writings based on Torah. Don't base Torah on the prophets and writings. The Torah came first. They can't contradict one another. Now, the writings of the prophets and the other writers, are only divinely inspired commentary on the Torah that can neither be added to or taken away from. And when we realize that, for one thing, we'll be able to spot when someone is in error. We'll be able to spot when we're in error ourselves. But when we realize it, then it will challenge us to make our arguments from God's word, the Torah. And then to only use the prophets and the writings for confirmation and not the other way around. That's why proving the inspiration of the writings of the disciples of Yeshua as being divine in origin is not possible if we just look back at the prophets. Yes, a lot of it is, comes from the prophets, but we can't prove it by the prophets alone. It should be tested and proved by the words of the Torah itself. Now, most Messianic leaders and believers of all kinds would claim that the latter writings do pass the test of Torah, just like the prophets and the other writings pass the test. That's also why someone's beliefs about Messiah cannot rest on their own understanding of the prophets and writings alone, but, and for that matter, a tradition apart from Torah. That brings up a whole other issue, traditions. Many traditions will teach against, without realizing sometimes, the Torah. Some of the things that the rabbis established and wrote don't necessarily agree with Torah. They were nice things to do. 
Now, are nice things to do okay? Sure, but they can't be false either. They can't add to the, or take away from the Torah either. If they're not in alignment with the Torah and they claim to be God's word, then they're false traditions, they're false prophets establishing those teachings. The ultimately for Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles, everything written about Yeshua, and I'll extend that to unbelieving Jews and Gentiles, that everything that the prophets and writers said about God concerning the Messiah has to be found in the Torah. Somewhere in Torah is an answer to everything you read in every other book. It's established. It can be found there. And if you cannot establish your argument based on that, then maybe it's a false argument. Maybe we've been misled somewhere along the line. Maybe we need to examine our own teaching, re-examine, revisit those teachings, and determine if we've been taught wrong. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with being to find out that you were taught wrong and change your thinking and change your understanding. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But we have to find out what does the Torah say? What is the true understanding that we can get from what these prophets and writers wrote based on knowledge of Torah? So I would challenge anyone who has an argument concerning Messiah about what he is, what he isn't, who he is, who he isn't, to make the arguments from the Torah. The Messianics, I would say, if Yeshua and his disciples could do it, we can too. To the unbelieving Jew, I would say, if one cannot make their argument concerning Messiah from the Torah, then one's argument cannot stand. As they can't make the prophets and writings say anything that they want them to. So what prevents anyone from making the Torah say anything they want to? And by doing that, provide a basis for justification of any potential of adding to or subtracting from it. Simple. What did God say? I would encourage you to take what you've heard, apply it to the learning and the study of Torah and what the Torah says about Messiah. See, it's only then that we're going to find the answer. And it's only then we're going to come up with the arguments to stand on when people tell us the Messiah is not Yeshua. Only then can we stand upon God's word and say, yes, he is, because the Torah and the prophets all agree on who the Messiah would be. One question that we should ask, where is it found in the Torah? And then once we let the Torah speak concerning the matter, we'll have a firm foundation to stand on. Another question could be, what does this Torah passage have to do with the Messiah? 
Which, that's an equally valid question. The answer, just like all the rest, is always found in the Torah. So some might even ask the question, well then, what about the role of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit? Are we ignoring the role of the Holy Spirit in leading us to the truth of Scripture? Not at all. The Holy Spirit plays the most important role in illuminating the passages and arguments in the Torah for us to otherwise, that we otherwise might not have seen. He's a very important part in our understanding, in our study, and all of our learning. Now, let me tell you something. Especially when you're talking about some of the, the prophecies that the prophets wrote. Um, we really need the Ruach to open our eyes to what they're talking about and exactly what they mean. Some of them can be very ambiguous at best. Some of them are quite clear. But if we allow the Ruach to join with us in our study, he will open our eyes to see the truth. See, God guides our study of the Scriptures by revealing to us, through the Ruach, personally, what we should be seeing in his word. And then, he becomes our tutor. And he never contradicts his textbook, which is the Torah. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do thank you that you've given us your word. You've been quite clear, though sometimes we may not understand what you want us to do, what you would have us to do, who the Messiah is, what he was to do, and what he did do. Open our eyes through your Ruach, that our study and our learning will come directly from you, that you would show us by your word every step we're supposed to take, every word we should speak. We pray that you show it to us in, our, in your word. Put it in our hearing, put it in our hearts, put it in our minds. As you said, you would write the Torah on the hearts of your people. Write your Torah on our hearts, Lord. That we will not turn to the left or to the right. That we will not be tempted to add to or subtract anything from anything you said. That we will rightly divide the word of truth. And everything we do, everything we say, We pray that you would be with us, that your Ruach would direct our very lips, our thoughts, and that you would not allow us to speak falsehoods, that you would not allow us to try to add anything in because of our own understanding, but you would give us the right understanding. That we can walk away as your ambassadors. And again, we may rightly divide your word of truth. Thank you, Lord. On this Thanksgiving weekend, we're so grateful for so many things, but most of all, we are thankful for your word, your Messiah who came in the flesh to live your word in the midst of your people. We thank you and we bless you. In Yeshua's name, amen.